This podcast may contain explicit language. Welcome to the Dynasty Download, the show where we prove Dynasty League fantasy is the best form there is. I'm Tom Duncan. I'm co-host Ethan Hamilton. And tonight we are both recapping Week 11 and previewing Week 12 for the NFL Slate 2021. And that's because it is Thanksgiving week. And frankly, I have too many plans and other things going on to unfortunately record a second episode midweek or basically after the Thanksgiving Day games for you. So unfortunately, you get short shifted this week, but we'll keep it going. We have uh, an upcoming big episode here in a few weeks. So we'll keep you noted for that one as well. But first, a few other housekeeping notes. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. If you'd like to be on our mailing list this year or going forward, please send us a note there. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020, and you can now find every episode of the show on dynasty-download.captivate.fm. Finally, please follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. All right, let's get right into it. We're recording this on November 22nd, 2021, before Monday Night Football with the Giants and Buccaneers. But first, what was the biggest surprise for you coming out of the Week 11 slate? I feel like a lot of people came back from the dead. You know, um, there are a lot of high scoring games this weekend, a lot of players that we were kind of waiting on, I guess, for example, Mike Williams, you know, he had a big week. Um, Jonathan Taylor had a huge week. Austin Eckler had a huge week. There are just a lot of big weeks. Um, and it's, it was fun because I feel like we talked about in our little group chat, um, how the last couple of weeks it's been, the scoring has just been a little bit low. And I feel like it's kind of been like that for a couple of weeks now, maybe even to a month, but I think we got back to the high flying NFL that we all know and love this past weekend. Yeah. We're going to get to a few of those high scoring players, but a few that just come to mind and we're not going to really, unfortunately talk much about the Packers Vikings game. I kind of left it out for the most part on this rundown here, since we're combining shows and we don't want to run too terribly long, but Devonte Adams had a huge game. Justin Jefferson had a huge game. I think he was number one overall for the week. You said Mike Williams had a big game. I would say he had one really big pass because for whatever reason, Pittsburgh and their coverage broke down late in the game at the absolute worst time. But Brandon A.U. comes back from the dead with a guy we're going to talk about a little bit later. Jonathan Taylor, I think, is a special case. He's just been good all season. Right now, He is so far ahead of the next closest guy. He's averaging five more points per game right now than Austin Eckler. I mean, that's That's insane. That's a lot. That's number two. You're averaging five more points than the next closest guy. I mean, ridiculous. I think he has over 100 more points on the season right now than Ezekiel Elliott. Yep. So he's he's just... just yeah. been incredible this year. And I think the only recent example that I can think of where he scored just slightly less than somebody was Elvin Kamara's six touchdown game from last Christmas that won people their championship games. Well, I mean, I just saw that actually. I think he's like number five in most of the most fantasy points. All uh, Ladinian Tom, Tyree Kill had one. Alvin Kamara was on there, and I can't remember who the other person was. But uh, yeah, Jerry he's, Rice he's in had the a top huge fifty-point game. I have um, of all time. Yeah, Sean Alexander. I remember his against the Vikings on like a Sunday Night Football. He had five touchdowns. But I think this is the first time somebody scored four touchdowns on the ground, scored one through the air, and had over two hundred total receiving and rushing yards. I mean, yep. it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, he's just been incredible all year long. He's, he's been, he's been very, very good all year long. He's been healthy. He looks healthy every single week that we see him. And you kind of hope that continues with just the bad luck that everyone has had, but to kind of just see him grow all year long, he's really just kind of hit another level this year in the year. For me, one of the biggest impressions I had was some of the other teams that just seem to fall flat. I know everybody puts green Bay on that list, but and we're going to run down these teams here in a second. 
The Bills not showing up at home. I know they have a Thursday night game coming up against the Saints on Thanksgiving, but to just not show up and get absolutely smashed by a team that you were a clear favorite over and beat last year in a wild card game. I don't know if that's more indicative of where the Colts are at right now as a team or where the Bills are at. The Titans, I know it was a monsoon, but having five total turnovers and including a bunch of those being in the red zone, you outgained the Texans two to one and still lost the game. And it never really thought or looked like you were ever going to get right back in the game at, at any point, really. I think even at the end, when you might have had a chance, it didn't really feel like the Titans were ever clearly coming back. And then the Cowboys, I know that they were playing a tough team and Arrowhead is a tough place to play, but they just never felt with Tyron Smith being out, with Amari Cooper losing CeeDee Lamb right before halftime, that they were ever really a threat to make any significant points in that game. And it's not like Kansas City's defense is very good. So I really don't know which teams are going to show up at which time. I mean, as bad as Arizona looked last weekend, they looked like world beaters this weekend. I guess Seattle is just that bad. But still, I, I would have thought that Colt McCoy would have had another tough game, and it just didn't seem to be the case. So we have the Cardinals out front of the NFC and the Titans out front in the AFC. And that was a week one matchup where the Cardinals absolutely smashed the Titans. I really have no idea what to think on a week to week basis. I have no idea which teams are good. And it's usually about this weekend each year where the good teams start to really separate themselves. This is the same weekend last season where Antonio Gibson went wild against the Cowboys and really started to make their impression that they were going to win the NFC East. It was about when the Packers really got going in that second kick to the end of their year that really put them as the number one seed going into the playoffs. So I would expect that this weekend we're going to have the true separation of who is or isn't good. And we have that to look forward to here at the back end of this episode. But right now, I can't tell you for sure which teams that I would gamble on if the playoffs were to start today. Thankfully, I don't gamble anymore. Never gamble with money that you're not willing to lose, kids. Always good advice. So let's get to that Bills game. The the Bills get shelled at home. Jonathan Taylor, five total touchdowns, over 200 yards. Is there really any other thing to say about this game other than you can definitely run on the Bills? Now, I mean, Indianapolis controlled this game from start to finish. That's really what it is in a nutshell. You know, Jonathan Taylor was amazing. The Bills got shelled at home. And this team is really built. I I can't remember who said the comment last week. I want to say it was Warren Sharp of Warren or of uh, sharpfootball.com who made the comment that the Colts are really built like an outdoor team, that they're a defensive team that runs the football well, and that the Bills are built like an inside football team. And so he really liked the dichotomy of the twist of the two styles really being mixed from what their actual stadium environment is. So this was one where the Colts really stuck it to the bills in a way that I don't think I've seen anybody do it since the Titans basically did it a few weeks back, but certainly not to this extent. I guess I would say, what is the substance to the bills right now? Their offense has been lackadaisical at times. They had a good week against the jets last week, but against some of the more difficult opponents on their schedule this year, they've fallen flat. On the other hand, the Colts, they seem to find ways to win a lot of games, but they also have some really bad losses on the year with uh, opening weekend. They lost to Seattle in a really kind of terrible way late in that game, getting big passes down the field. You had the Baltimore Ravens do the exact same thing in that wild fourth quarter on a Monday night football game, or are the Colts, somebody to be reckoned with now as this being their marker game, or I guess, is this more of a one week aberration that we probably should throw away? Uh, With the bills, they go as Josh Allen goes, and he's been a roller coaster, you know, in his entire career, almost Uh, with the Colts, it's only going to get colder. And I get inside, but you said it, you know, they're built like an outside team and that's not really a beast that I want to play when the weather gets colder and you, and you do have that outside game. And that's a, that's a, it's an offense that can travel, you know, you can run the ball anywhere. It doesn't matter. 
um, if they're doing their thing, they're, they're just going to be chugging away. So yeah, absolutely. I think this is a team that's really starting to find themselves. They're well coached. They have well defense. They have a great running game and a quarterback that is capable of managing that. So yeah, absolutely. I think that's a team that's, uh, that's a little scary. I'd love to see a potential playoffs matchup of the Patriots and the Colts in Foxborough. I think that would be an amazing game because both teams are just going to run the shit out of the football. They're both going to play physical defense. Frank Reich has already beaten Bill Belichick in a playoff game, the Super Bowl. I think it was number 52 in Minneapolis. So I think there are a lot of things that could go into that one, but those are two decent cold weather teams. And with Mac Jones, it being his rookie year, even though the Patriots are trending up like the rest of the AFC is trending down, I do think that there are teams that could go into Foxborough and beat them if they win their division. All right, the Titans lose to the Texans at home. Again, kind of an odd showing, but this offense has not produced a lot of points or yards the last few weeks. Yes, they had some big wins against uh, the Rams, notably, and I can't remember who they beat last weekend, but I think it was another playoff team. Oh, the Saints. But those games were still a little bit closer And they did it mostly on defense and turnovers and then kind of hung on late in the Saints game. This game, they turned the ball over early and often. And with A.J. Brown dealing with yet another injury, he also expressed mental health concerns this week. Julio Jones has been out for a while. They're down to Damon Hilliard, I think it is, as their primary back. I mean, this team is still the number one in the AFC, but I don't understand how. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, it's a team that I still have yet to figure out. They just find ways to win. And I just think for them, eventually their luck is going to run out. Derrick Henry for them cannot come back soon enough. And even then with a foot, you got to wonder, you know, how, what percentage he's still going to be operating on. So we'll see, but I, I just don't, I don't have much faith in the Titans. I think that's the big point right there you highlighted how much of a percentage he's going to be available to them. Derrick Henry is only good to them if he's there to take as many carries as they need him to take. And if he's not at 100% to take as many carries as they need him to take, I mean, even that Seahawks game in week two where he had a 50-burger as well, he took, I think, like 36 carries in that game and had like seven receptions. So you, you need him even in games where they need to come back. They're going to run the football because he establishes everything for them. If he's not going to be a full go, I have no idea what this team's identity is right now on offense because they're supposed to be a play action offense, but they just don't have many playmakers. Ryan Tannehill looks ordinary right now in a way that he didn't the last year and a half before this or before this season. And I really don't know what this team is supposed to be right now. And if they end up as the number one seed, which is still a question, I don't know if, could you imagine the Patriots somehow still getting a number one seed in the AFC right now? And that's just ridiculous. They should not be doing that with Mac Jones, but that's a digression here. I, I just really don't see what type of offense they're going to be able to run to win games. And it's absolutely shocking to me. This is one of the big weird stats of the weekend. They're seven and oh, versus playoff teams from last season. They're 0-2 versus the Texans and the Jets who will have top five picks in next year's draft. I mean, that's just telling. Who am I is what they're screaming in the mirror. You know, who am I? They don't know who they are yet either. So the Packers find their offense only to lose late in the game on a field goal, but lose their second left tackle for the season. They also had several other major injuries in this game, and their bye week couldn't come soon enough. The Cowboys also lose on the road to Kansas City. Which one of these do you think is a tougher loss? You know, that's a really good question. The Packers and Vikings, I feel like they always split each and every year. The Cowboys, I think, had a chance. So I guess I'm going to go with the Cowboys. They had a chance to really make a name for themselves. They've been getting all this love for God knows whatever reason about how they're the favorite team in the NFC. And I don't know why they keep getting this love, maybe because they're just the Cowboys and they have that star on their helmet. But anyway, like this was a chance for them to show the entire world that, uh, yeah, we are here to stay. And they fell flat on their face. So I think this was uh, 
bigger loss for the Cowboys. Speaking as primarily only a fan, I think that if you're talking from the fan perspective, a division loss will always sting more. And the fact that the Packers actually had a legitimate shot at winning that game on multiple occasions, they had plays they really left out on the field, notably the interception at the end of the game that wasn't all of a sudden, or the fact that Rasul Douglas, if uh, Kirk Cousins throws that pass actually to the place he was supposed to, Rasul Douglas makes another game-saving interception late in the game, but that ends up being a long pass play to Adam Thielen that sets them up in field goal range. There are many different things you could point to. I could point to multiple interceptions that were overturned or uh, had weird penalties that seemed to go against us for whatever reason. And I think the Packers would think legitimately that they were closer to winning that football game than Dallas was ever in the Kansas City game. So I, I think I would make the argument, though, on a team perspective, that losing a tough division game on the road stings a little bit more because you had a three and a half game lead and now that's two and a half games and you don't have the tiebreaker. And yes, you still have another game coming up against them, but in a game where you had left some plays out on the field and you lost more people, I, I really don't know if that's a game I necessarily want to give up. So I I'd go green Bay, not to say that Dallas hasn't been doing it, but I also think that the enamored pundit class that loves Dallas is just that. I, I think you are correct that America's team gets a little bit more favoritism than they probably should. I, I really haven't thought much of Dallas at different times this season. The Chargers blow a 17-point lead only to gut out a 41-37 victory behind Justin Herbert's 44 fantasy points, Austin Eckler's 38.5, really Mike Williams' 21.2, basically one catch touchdown late in the game for a 50-yard bomb, and Keenan Allen's 18.7 points. Do you feel like you have more of an idea of who the Chargers are or the Steelers at this point? Um, I guess I, I have more of an idea who the Steelers are, and they're that's just kind of middle of the road. Yeah, they'll fight, and they'll pull some games out, but they're nothing special. We know they're not going to do anything. The Chargers, they're just so up and down for me. They finally got back to, I think, what was what had made them successful all year earlier in the season. Um, they got back to that type of football. and so. But it's super inconsistent for me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. For the Steelers, I know what they are. Uh, for the Chargers, they're still too inconsistent. They had that really month-long lull, and so... If they want to prove something, they got to go on a month-long high. So we'll see. I'm not ready to declare their offense back all of a sudden because they had one good game against a team that has been giving up a lot of points and yards, especially through the air most of the season. That was without most of their star defensive backfield. I think TJ Watt was out for this game. Minka Fitzpatrick was out for this game. And I think at least one other star player. And it, was clear that the Steelers were not going to stop the Chargers for most of the day. That being said, blowing a 17-point lead and doing it in the way that they did, I don't know if that says that the Steelers are going to be resilient and they're going to be tough and gritty and in most football games, but they just came off of a week last week where they tied the Lions with their backup quarterback. I really don't know if I know either of these teams. I think that one of them, if not both, can find a backdoor into the playoffs, possibly, although Pittsburgh's going to really have to win this weekend against Cincinnati Bengals in order to really make a statement whether they are capable of making the playoffs. But I don't know. Like you said, it's up and down, and I'm not ready to declare their offense back. The Chargers' defense isn't very good either, and it's quite evident to me that they're going to have to outscore people in order to win games. So their offense is going to have to be a lot more consistent than they have been recently in order for them to move forward. All right, the Ravens won a road game against the Bears where both Tyler Huntley, who started the game in place of Lamar Jackson, who was out with, I guess, a non-COVID-related illness, and Andy Dalton had to come off the bench because they feared that Justin Fields broke some ribs. Uh, apparently, the test results have been inconclusive so far. But both of them tried to come off the bench to lead their teams to win and successfully, Tyler Huntley somehow did it on the road against the Bears. 
how do the Ravens keep doing this week after week, even without, without Lamar in this one? You know, they played against the Bears, I guess, for me, and I'm going to go into that a little bit more in my ugly, but the Bears are a terrible football team from start to finish. Matt Nagy is a terrible football coach from start to finish, and I also think it helps that Huntley had a week of preparation. You know, he he knew pretty much that he was going to be taking those roles, but still Andy Dalton is a good quarterback. That's still probably a top backup quarterback in this league. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what comes out of Chicago, but it's really surprising to me even still to this day, like being Monday that Matt Nagy still has a job. So I don't know. That's interesting, but I don't know how they're going to fire him though, with them playing on Thanksgiving. And if they somehow lose to the lions, of course he's going to be fired, but if they win against the lions, he's going to prolong it for another two weeks. I just don't quite understand that one because it wasn't like the bears seemingly had a great game plan. They were down in that game. I think they'd only scored three points at the point where Andy Dalton came in. And I think in two plays, he threw a 70 yard touchdown. I I have yet to figure out what the bears are doing. The Ravens seem to be the most resilient team that despite having, I don't know how many different guys injured or hurt or missing games they seem to pull out wins that they have no business being a part of the dolphins grind out another win behind two is 273 yards and two touchdowns but elijah moore he goes off for eight catches 141 yards a touchdown on 11 targets also had 15 yards on the ground with joe flacco at quarterback in the loss is this the guy that uh, ben was really high on early in the preseason or are we getting some mirages here no, I think he's an incredible talent. I think Joe Flacco is uh, was a pretty good quarterback for him. I think it's the most stable quarterback that he's had so far in his career, but I think he's an exceptional talent. We can expect more of this. I think if he was on a team, it's just a different team. It's just the Jets. Like I don't know. We'll, we'll see, but I, it's the Jets. <laughs> yes, the team of the butt fumble. It's the anniversary weekend of the butt fumble too. Yeah, I did see that. I know. I, I'm glad to have him on my other fantasy team, my office league, where I also faced Jonathan Taylor this weekend. I faced him in both of my major leagues. And I have a chance tonight if Brady doesn't get 26 points. I doubt that that's going to be the case. I'm pretty sure they'll get over 26 points because he's basically done that rolling out of bed every week. But in the off chance... I have a chance partly because of Elijah Moore to win this week. And it's all because of him. If I don't win, it's my own fault for pulling Kirk cousins at the last minute for Justin Fields. Boy, was that a mistake? Anyway, Darren Waller and Joe Mixon had huge games in their win or in the Bengals win over the Raiders yesterday. Darren Waller finally returns to the land of the living seven catches, 116 yards on eight targets. Joe Mixon, 30 carries 30 for 123 yards and two touchdowns. Are these two guys that are starting to emerge or is this another one of those one week blips? No, I mean, Joe Mixon, I think this is his third straight week with over 20 fantasy points. He has been, I think he's a top five back for the season right now. Yeah. He is quietly having a very, very incredible year. I think with Darren Waller, I think it's more of a mirage. Uh, It's just, He's here and then he's there, but it's like that with all the tight ends and where you drafted him, you just got to keep the faith. But Joe Mixon is the real deal. He's there, he's there, he's every fucking where. Waller, Waller. Oh my God. No. (laughs) No, no. All right. Let's get to the top tens for the week. Quarterback number one was Justin Herbert, partly because he ran for like 90 yards on the ground, which was weird. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was number two, Jalen Hurts three with his three rushing touchdowns, Kirk Cousins four, Colt McCoy, Colt fucking McCoy five, Cam Newton returns to great applause six, Trevor Simeon seven, who happens to be the highest scoring quarterback over the last two weeks combined, Ben Roethlisberger eight, Tyler Heineke nine, and Andy Dalton 10, who didn't even take over until I think midway through the game. Any of these stick out to you or do all I mean, of them? Most of them stick out to me. Let's, let's move like on. To seven the of them. <laughs> I mean, that's just insane. Uh, running backs, obviously Jonathan Taylor, number one, 
Austin Eckler with a 38-point game and four touchdowns. He's number two. Joe Mixon, three. DeAndre Swift, despite the fact the Lions had almost no offense with Tim Boyle at quarterback, four. Nick Chubb, five. Christian McCaffrey, six. Dalvin Cook, seven. James Conner, eight. Miles Gaskin, nine. And Devontae Freeman, a rise from the dead, like the Undertaker at 10. I'm assuming yeah, I, he's the big surprise of this list. Yeah, absolutely. Nine and 10, Gaskin. I feel like, did I put him in my Gaskin? Did I put him in my long shot of the week last week? I don't know if he I was your long shot it. or I know he, I he might have been your underrated, but either way, I, I'm yeah. pretty sure you had him listed last week. May have been one of the few good calls we actually made. Yeah, the, if, if you started Dan Arnold because of me, I apologize. Like, I'm sorry. If I should have had to start him, you know, for taking my own advice, but I started Dalton Schultz. So, but yeah, Dan Arnold, that was bad. Yeah. I mean, you had good conclusions, but that's why we play the game. You have to play the game. Oh, man. But that's why fantasy football is fun. All right. Wide receiver, number one for the weekend, Justin Jefferson. Two, Elijah Moore. Three, Devontae Adams. Four, Darnell Movie. Mooney. Ugh, I can't talk. Four, uh, five, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Six, Marquise Goodwin. Why? Deontay Johnson, seven. Terry McLaurin, eight. Mike Williams, nine. And Keenan Allen, 10. I'm assuming Marquise Goodwin is the real one that sticks out to you, but I think you could go with a couple of names on this list. Well, I think for me, what sticks out to me is there are two sets of teammates that are in the top 10, you know, with MVS and Devontae Adams and then Mike Williams and Keenan Allen. That's Marquise uh, Goodwin and Arnell Mooney as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there you got three then. Sorry, I just kind of anyway, but yeah. So I think that's pretty incredible. And I think Adam Thielen was the number 11 guy just behind Keenan Allen. Yeah, it's crazy. Just meant that most of the points were coming out of a few games this weekend. So basically, start anybody playing the Chargers defense, the Steelers defense, or the Vikings defense. Food for thought. Uh, Finally, we have tight end for the weekend. Ertz was number one with, I think, 80 yards receiving and two touchdowns in that game. Darren Waller, number two. Travis Kelsey, three. Somehow, even though he dropped a bunch of balls in that game. Adam Troutman, four. George Kittle, five. Mark Andrews, six. Anthony Ferkser, seven. Dawson Knox, eight. Josiah DeGuara, nine. And Eric Ebron, 10. Any of these surprise you? All of them. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing with the tight ends. I mean, there's a couple and then there's like, who the is this? So yeah, most of them do. Well, Ebron, just because he kind of returned to something in this game, although Pat Farmworth also got a uh, touchdown in that game. And I think he was 11th on the weekend. DeGuara, I mean, it was just the rollout touchdown that Rodgers had near the end of the first half that got him but on the board. that's all it took to be in the top 10 as a tight well, end. Well, that's what I'm saying. You fall into the end zone and get 20 yards, you're automatically going to get like eight, nine <laughs> points, and that's a top 10 finisher at tight end right now. That's why we see week after week after week, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, Waller, all in the top 10, even though they have less than spectacular games. Yeah, they're all just right. getting the ball. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, The good, tip my cap and call him my daddy, Jonathan Taylor. I faced you twice this weekend. I would have rather had you on my team, but it's the way it goes. I I have nothing but good and kind things to say about a Badger running back that I love to have on my college fantasy team. Uh, I have another Badger running back who got me 50 points this weekend against Nebraska to take me into the title game against Dana. So we'll see how that one pans out over the weekend, but Kudos to you. Good on you. What was your good for the week? Mine is uh, to fire up that old air guitar. It is Austin Eckler doing a little bit of everything. And I just love how much this dude loves fantasy football. Like that to me, I think is so much more because a lot of the times you just hear all the bad stories about like, dude, I don't care about your fantasy team and people that go after players on Twitter and shit like that. Like there's a special place in hell for you, but like for him to embrace it and to be happy about it. And he's like, yeah, I drafted myself. Like, yeah. Start me. Like when he was hurt and everyone didn't know he was playing, he's like, well, I'm putting myself in my lineup. Like it's that type of stuff, but long tangent, long story short, Austin Eckler was my good. Now I have a curious question for you. The ninth ring of hell is for 
uh, Twitter trolls. And the 12th ring is for fantasy football players who are just angry on Twitter. Now, which one of these would these special people fall into, the ninth or the 12th ring? Ooh. Can we put it at, like, the 10th ring? Is Can we just throw them there? Make it I, I guess we them? can make, like, 10 and a half. 10 and three quarters. <laughs> Something like that. For me, and although I will point out on the Austin Eckler thing, it was revealed he did a screenshot of his own team. He won himself his fantasy football game yesterday, which is kind of awesome. For my bad, though, the Titans are 7-0 and against last year's playoff teams, but 0-2 against the Jets and the Texans. What are we doing here? What's your bad? My bad is the Packers, and kind of what you said earlier, they just had a lot of opportunities to win this game, and they let every single one of them fall through their fingertips. So long story short, it's the Green Bay Packers for me. Bad. Ugly for me, the Bills. I know you're playing Thursday night, but you've got to show up at home. At least, like, keep it within two scores. That game was never close, and I, I never really turned it on because there was nothing ever going on other than Jonathan Taylor into the end zone again seemed like every time you turned around. What was your ugly? My ugly is the Bears. And I guess just to expand on what I was saying earlier, like never in the Bears a hundred and some odd year history have they fired a coach in season. I think they got to make an exception to that rule because Matt Nagy is terrible. So Chicago Bears for me. Well, I mean, it helps when George Hallis was the coach for like 50 years out of those hundred. (laughs) I'm just saying that's still another 50 some years. Well, the Packers, I don't remember, had fired a head coach mid-season either until Mike McCarthy forced their hand. (laughs) Anyway, uh, top pickups of the week. We'll skip over some of the other periphery this week since we have a mashed-up combined episode, and you're getting two-for-one on this one. So top pickups of the week for me, these are guys owned in under 50% of Yahoo leagues at the moment. Van Jefferson. I think he's the most likely to be set up to replace Robert Woods right now. He's the more technical route runner. Uh, I would imagine that Odell Beckham Jr. is actually going to be more of the deep threat that Van Jefferson was coming into the year to take over kind of the Deshaun Jackson role that they had going for him. I would expect that Van Jefferson gets a ton of secondary looks behind Cooper Cup. He's never going to be full value Robert Woods. But if he could even prove that he is capable of taking over 70% of the workload in addition to his own, I think he's a valuable asset and a potential flex play given on a weekly basis right now. They have a tough matchup going to Green Bay this weekend, but I think he's worth at least stashing and seeing what you have before you uh, go into your playoff run here pretty soon. Tua Tagovailoa, he's had at least 23 points in the games he's been healthy for over the last six weeks with a very, very soft schedule upcoming yet. I like him uh, as a potential streamer if you need him for uh, anybody that's on a buy here in the next few weeks. Tim Patrick, I've said this many times, he just needs to be picked up. Rondell Moore, if he is out there on any dynasty leagues, and I can't imagine why he wouldn't be, he was a guy that was being featured a lot in the game plan this weekend and underneath coverage. I think that the Cardinals are starting to figure out what to exactly do with him in this offense, and he's exploiting some of that. He is going to be an exciting player once he gets fully unleashed and unlocked in this offense. And finally, Cedric Wilson. I think this might be a play just for this week, but the Cowboys are going to need to throw the ball to somebody. They have a good matchup this week at home on Thanksgiving, and they really don't have their top two receivers. Unless you're going to somehow get Michael Gallup, who's over 50% owned in most leagues, I like this guy to potentially explode on Thanksgiving Day. Top drop candidates for me, any Seahawk or Titans running back. The Seahawks just stink, and I don't want any part of this offense that isn't DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett at this point. And all the Titans running backs, you can't predict which one is going to get the majority of the carries from week to week. Who the hell is Damon Hilliard? I mean, good God. Julio Jones, I don't understand why people still have him on their roster, especially in redraft situations. It doesn't make any sense to me. Naheem Hines, yes, that was a good story last year, but it's quite obvious that Jonathan Taylor is the only back that you want out of this offense. Mike Davis, again, you drafted him to try and be something for this offense, and I just don't see it. Finally, Marvin Jones, he just, well, simply put, the Jacksonville offense sucks. Dan Arnold, who had been their most targeted uh, pass catcher over the last several weeks, got zero points and zero looks in this game. LaVishka Chenault ended up being their go-to guy in this game, but Jamal Agnew is now out. 
I really have no idea what the hell Urban Meyer's doing. And I would be almost shocked at this point if he comes back for a season two with how bad this team looks. All right, let's get to the week 12 preview then. News for the upcoming week. As I was just discussing, CeeDee Lamb was concussed during yesterday's game and Amari Cooper will likely not be back for Thursday's game either because I think he has to be in the 10-day protocol. To me, that says he is unvaccinated, but I'm not reporting anything. Is there a fill-in Cowboys wide receiver you like for Thanksgiving Day? I already gave you mine. Yeah, absolutely. And he plays tight end. His name is Dalton Schultz. I think that he'll um, get a little bit more look. I think Michael Gallup will also have a pretty nice day on Thanksgiving Day. But I think Dalton Schultz, security blanket over the middle of the field, got to love it. Got to love it. If you have him, I don't know who does, but it should be a good weekend for you. If the Cowboys are playing from behind, it's quite clear to me that Tony Pollard will be the back in the backfield for the majority of those drives. So I actually like him as another secondary option as a good flex play for the week as well. The Patriots pretty evenly split the carries last Thursday night between both uh, Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. Do you see an advantage for either one of these players yet this year without someone getting hurt? Now I've played this game before with Patriot running backs and I used it. I had it happen to me in a championship and it burned the hell out of me. So I do not like it unless one of them are hurt. It's very hard to predict. And that's exactly the way that uh, the Patriots like it. You heard it here first folks. Learn from Ethan's mistakes, even if he doesn't always. The Eagles <laughs> ran for uh, 242 <laughs> yards on 50 carries against a team that has one of the best run defenses in football. Should we now be taking Miles Sanders and this offense more seriously? I don't know if Miles Sanders is the one that we should be taking seriously in the run game. I think it's their quarterback in Jalen Hurts. He has looked absolutely incredible. He, for sure, I mean, I don't want to do a little spoiler, but he is my quarterback back that's going outside the top 10 that I think will finish in the top 10 yet again. He is been consistent enough passing the football, not really turning the ball over. And he's been incredible on the ground. He's, he's the one for me. Yeah. I would definitely say that he is setting the tone for most of this team and they've really come up with a good identity being a power run team late into the season, which I think will carry well if they do somehow sneak into the playoffs. That being said, they had, uh, I think, at least two different fumbles in the red zone with Miles Sanders, which has been a problem for him long term. Uh, I think Jordan Howard got hurt during the course of this game, and Boston Scott also took a bunch of carries. So I really don't know which of these guys is going to be the beneficiary moving forward, but you do like the fact that they're giving quite a number of carries to all of their guys and running it successfully, even against good run defenses. I would keep an eye on this one if any of these guys becomes available or there's an injury to any of these guys going forward into the playoffs as one of these guys might be a good stream for a flex position that might win you your championship game. Cam Newton returned to 28 points yesterday. Do you see him as a quarterback one for the rest of the season? Here is his schedule. Miami, then a bye, Atlanta, Buffalo, Tampa Bay, and New Orleans. He looked very comfortable in that offense yesterday. I think they're making it that way for him. He's very good running the football. They're going to use him close to the goal line. He's been accurate enough passing the football, and he knows these guys too. There's a familiarity with it, with chemistry that's already been built. So I don't think it is too much of a stretch to think that he could be in that top 10 quarterback range for the rest of the year. Could be getting a little ahead of myself, but if it was to happen, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be shocked either, especially because this week I would guess that uh, they're going to have something prepared for Miami and be able to play well in that game. Even though Miami's defense has been a little bit better as of late, I wouldn't call them the world beaters that they were last season. Then they have the bye week, and coming out of that bye week, you have no idea what scheme or what they're going to put together to really utilize what Cam's skills are in this offense. And he has been their goal line back so far. So if he continues to score rushing touchdowns, that's going to keep his floor awfully high. And if you're just looking for a guy that's going to be consistent, if you've been starting guys that are up and down like a, a Justin Herbert and he's facing a tough defense, I'd much rather go with Cam and his rushing upside in a potential playoff matchup than I probably would at this point with Justin Herbert. Even though the ceiling is much higher with Herbert, I just can't see myself taking a uh, – lower floor than a higher floor in a potential playoff matchup, depending on who I'm playing. 
Christian McCaffrey has yet to have more than 20 touches in a game since his return. Is this the new normal for the consensus number one pick going into this year? I think that you could say that. And I don't think you should be all that bummed about it either. He's been super productive with the touches that he's been getting. And he still is that number one running back threat. I think Jonathan Taylor obviously has that thrown just because he does get way more. But yeah, Chris Kelly, this probably is life for him now. And I, like I said, I don't think that's a bad thing because of how productive he is with his, with his looks and how um, many receptions he does get. That gets a 100% stamp approval from Tom Duncan. Yes, I am a little bit worried that his volume has decreased, but I think it also has a chance to increase. We don't know what his health concern is yet, and maybe they're just trying to coddle him. I think one of the bigger impacts for me, though, is he won't be the goal back. That doesn't mean he can't get into the end zone, but realistically, him being the pass catcher that he has been up to this point is his real fantasy value. And if you're playing in a PPR setting, I think he is still, maybe not quite on the level of Jonathan Taylor, but he's pretty damn close with the amount of catches he gets and targets and looks on a weekly basis. I still think he can make his nut even in this offense. And we saw Cam give him the ball in the passing game the last two weeks. I'm really not too terribly afraid as long as he's on the field. And right now, the lower carry threshold probably keeps him on the field as opposed to his large volume that he had been getting prior to his hamstring injury. Brandon Ayuk had seven catches for 85 yards, a touchdown on seven targets. Are we finally getting the player we saw last season? You know, I want to go there. I really do. He's had two really good weeks in the last three weeks, but I still, I need to see it, you know, back to back. Debo Samuel is still the alpha dog in that wide receiver room, but the, and, and the San Francisco 49er offense is a little unpredictable. I don't know if there is a number one wide receiver there, but I think Brandon Ayuk, this is what he can be. I just don't know how much more his ceiling goes. He's clearly talented and they want to get him the ball. I think he's finally out of the doghouse. You're going to have some ups and downs, especially if they're going to target Debo in the passing game. The difference to me was Elijah Mitchell was out in this game. They really didn't need to throw the ball a ton like they did last week or the week before. And as a result, Debo was taking a lot of snaps out of the backfield. So Ayuk became the number one wide receiver by default. Kittle had a decent enough game, and he also had a touchdown in this one. But Ayuk was the guy that really led the charge. And I would expect that if San Francisco is going to be down in games or that their offense needs a few more points or that they're just going to be a little bit more explosive than they needed to be against Jacksonville at home, I would guess that he's actually going to get a predominance of work. I don't know if that's going to be always the case, but – I think he's at least a decent consideration for flex play and the uh, talent is clearly there. All right. Game of the week for me, I'm taking the Rams and the Packers. The Packers are minus one at home. And I think this is probably the game of the weekend that has the most playoff implications. The one that basically establishes are which of these teams is for real, especially if the Rams come into Lambeau field and win. What is yeah, your game I'm- of the week? That's my game of the week as well. Everything you said, not really too much more to add. Should be a fun one, though. I think, especially after last year's playoff game, that everyone kind of has this one circled. And it'd be nice if Green Bay got back a bunch of their guys healthy, but I don't see that happening before the bye week. We uh, already got word that Elton Jenkins is out for the season and David Bakhtiari is not going to be coming back for this game. So the Packers offensive line is going to have to patch it together again without any of the three all pro pro bowl type players that they had on their offensive line from last season. I really don't know how they're going to do it against Aaron Donald and the rest of that defense. Cause uh, we already saw what Chris Jones could do against this line a couple of weeks back. So I would be very curious what is going to happen in that game, but uh, I think I'm tipping my hand a little bit. I'm going to take the Rams to beat the Packers in an upset. That is my upset of the week. What is yours? Mine is the Browns over the Ravens. I The way Lamar Jackson was walking into the facility this past weekend looked super, super sick, like super unwell. I, I don't think he bounces back as quickly as he needs to for this game, and I don't think he is 100% himself. So I can see the Browns uh, beating the Ravens. So I got Browns. That's bold. I mean, betting on the Browns right now is not a, a sure thing, but uh, that's – that's bold. 
<laughs> Underrated studs of the week. These are guys going outside the top 10. We think could finish inside the top 10. I'm going to take Carson Wentz versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think that they're going to be able to run the football nearly as effectively as they did this last week against the Bills. I think they're going to have to change up their game plan. And yes, he has some possibility for interceptions, but we've also seen most quarterbacks do well against this uh, Tampa Bay secondary so far this season. I expect him to go in and have a pretty decent game. Michael Pittman Jr. to also have a decent game against Tampa Bay. Give me Carson Wentz. Who is your quarterback of the week? I have Jalen Hurts, and I didn't even write who he was playing against because if he's sitting outside the top 10, something is wrong. Jalen Hurts should be one of the quarterbacks that I feel like you start every single week. So Jalen Hurts for me. Uh, I'm going to go with David Montgomery against the Detroit Lions. I don't care if Justin Fields is starting on Thursday. The Detroit Lions cannot stop a nosebleed. And I have to imagine that, especially if Andy Dalton is starting, that David Montgomery is going to get a huge workload on Thursday against this team to basically shorten the game and hopefully uh, let Matt Nagy keep his job for at least one more week. Uh, Who is your running back of the weekend? My running back of the week is James Robinson versus Atlanta. Sorry, I lost where I was for a second. James Robinson versus Atlanta. I think he's coming back. He'll be healthier hopefully, and against an Atlanta team that, like I've been saying all year long, is just not very, very good. So I got James Robinson. It would be nice for him to get back to his winning ways here in the recent past. For wide receiver, I'm going to go in the same game that I started with my quarterback, but go to the opposite side of the football. I'm going to go Chris Godwin versus the Indianapolis Colts. The Indianapolis Colts can give up a lot of yards in the passing game. They did this last weekend when the Bills got down so they could play a lot more coverages. But I expect him to have a good week. I expect Tampa Bay now uh, coming back after this Monday night football game to really establish themselves and put forth their best foot uh, toward the playoffs and really try and cement themselves as one of those uh, teams to be taken seriously yet again this playoff season. So Chris Godwin for me versus Indianapolis. Who is your wide receiver of the week? That's a great pick, by the way. Uh, my wide receiver of the week is Brandon Cooks going up against a Tennessee defense that is god-awful against the pass. Uh, I think Houston kind of continues their ways. I kind of think Tennessee loses a second straight game. But I wasn't bold enough to pick that one, but I got Brandon Cooks against the Tennessee defense. For tight end this week, I'm going to go with Pat Fryermuth versus the Cincinnati Bengals. The Steelers are really beat up in their receiving core right now, and this guy has caught a touchdown, I think, four of the last five weeks. He and Hunter Henry have like one of the most consistent touchdown records so far this season of just at least falling into the end zone once per game. Give me this guy to fall into the end zone and make it into the top 10. Who is your tight end of the weekend? Uh, Mine is Gronk versus the Colts. I think he's playing tonight. He is. But it'll be, you know, one week removed. He'll see how he's working, see how he's moving, getting back healthy with the ribs. And I think next week is kind of the week that we're introduced to um, the Gronk that we saw earlier in the season before he got hurt. All right. Defensive stream of the week. You did say that you had one for me. I don't see it written down, but I have Chicago against the Detroit Lions. Tim Boyle looked awful this weekend, and Chicago has a better defense, I think, than Cleveland. So give me the Chicago defense that's only 23% owned right now against the Detroit Lions on Thursday. Who is your defensive stream of the week? Is Tim Boyle starting again? I'm pretty sure. Oh, then that might change things. But as of right now, I have the Detroit defense actually over Chicago because I think Detroit goes and beats Chicago this next weekend. Ooh, I love it. You want to go head to head on this one? <laughs> no, I do not because I didn't realize Tim Boyle was going to be starting again. Come on. I got to have a reason to watch this nope. fucking game. Stop. It's Thanksgiving. Eat some pie. Watch the game. Not at 11 a.m. Ooh, uh, there's never a wrong time for pumpkin pie, my friend. Well, that's probably true. Uh, <laughs> long shots of the week going outside of the top 20 that we think could finish inside the top 10. I have two guys from the same game. We'll start with Javante Williams versus the last ranked Los Angeles Chargers rushing defense. Again, it's going to be Javante Williams week. One of these weeks, I expect it to be this one. Give me the breakout. Who is your first <laughs> long shot? I'm going to go Antonio Gibson against the Seattle defense and just a Seattle team. That's just kind of, I think, kind of think they're done. I, I 
think they're not very good and I think they know it. And I think they realize that their playoff hopes are kind of done. And I think Antonio Gibson is getting healthier. I think he kind of runs over that defense. So I'm going to go Antonio Gibson. I mean, how far the Seahawks have fallen from being a perennial playoff team with one of the best quarterbacks around and being a two-time, at least uh, Super Bowl entrant or participant to now. And I don't even think, even if they had uh, a, what is it, a bottom five record that they could, I think their first round pick is with the Jets right now. Or maybe it's the Eagles. I don't know. The Eagles also own like three top 10 picks as it would currently stand. So not even having your own first round pick, I can't imagine how Pete Carroll stays or Russell Wilson stays at this point. My second big long shot of the weekend, I'm going to go Keenan Allen versus the Denver defense. The Denver defense has been good on the outside and deep in the perimeter. So that to me says that you need a guy who's going to be the short intermediate route guy, a guy who's going to make a lot of catches underneath. For me, that's Keenan Allen against one of these uh, Denver defenses that has been pretty decent against the pass, but not necessarily great against the run so far. I expect the Chargers to build on what they did last week and have him another good game. I can't believe you went outside the top 20 this week in projections. Who is your second long shot of the week? Mine is DJ Moore. Having Scam Newton back with uh, the chemistry that they have together. Uh, he had a pretty good game as Cam gets more accustomed to the offense. I think it's only going to get better. So DJ Moore for me. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, that does it for us. It's a two-parter episode this week. We will not be back for the rest of the week. We will actually be back to recap week 12 next week. But until then. Until then, have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. If you'd like to contact the show or have a question for us, please write us at dynastydownload10 at gmail.com. Also, you can now follow us on Twitter at dydownload2020. Find every episode of the show at dynasty-download.captivate.fm. And as always, please follow, rate, and review the show on whichever podcast platform you use so that more people can discover that Dynasty Fantasy is the best form there is. This podcast was mixed, produced, and edited by Thomas Duncan. It is a production of Ronnie Duncan Studios. Our music is thanks to Purple Planet Music. Our technical provider and distributor is Captivate FM.